the promise. On Friday, we begin with looking at the message of the cross, which the message of the cross is we don't rely on ourselves. We are redeemed by Jesus Christ, and we are invited to receive that for ourselves. And with that comes a tremendous promise. There's lots of promises that we all make. I think we've all made promises in our life. Every single one of us makes some promises, and we make promises sometimes that we have full intention, but no ability to actually keep. Like, yes, officer, I will not speed ever again. Or the beginning of the new year, and the new year comes and goes, yes, I will join a gym, I promise. I have good intentions, but no actually physical ability to, to carry that out because I know that the next day comes. Or late at night, and you're making promises that you really have no intention or ability to keep, and you're saying, I will never eat pizza ever again as you suffer with heartburn. My wife and I, several years ago, we made a promise to ourselves. We were lying in bed, and both of us looked at ourselves and said, we're never eating pizza again. This is horrible. And so I suffered and men suffer horribly. <laughs> we make lots of promises in our life. And sometimes we have the ability to keep the promises, but we really don't have any intention to. And other times we have no intention, but we certainly have the ability to keep the promises. But throughout the Bible, from the beginning right through to the end of the Bible, we see promise after promise after promise that is made by God. And Jesus himself makes many claims and many promises. And all of that comes about if the resurrection did not take place, if Jesus really didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead, all of those promises are much like the promises that we sometimes make. I have no intention of keeping. But God says I have every intention and every ability to keep every single one of my promises. In the book of John, chapter number 20, verse 8. We read it a few moments ago. It says, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went in, and he saw and believed. He believed the promises of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ made incredible promises. Jesus made some incredible promises throughout his life. When he says, like in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and they might have it more abundantly. John says, now I believe these promises. These aren't just empty claims. Jesus made some big statements about love. He made some big statements about life. He made some huge statements about eternity and how we were going to live in eternity. And it all came about because of the resurrection that we celebrate today. Jesus called his disciples in Matthew chapter number four, verse 19. It says, Jesus saw these fishermen that were fishing and he uses a bit of play on words. And he says, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men and these men got up left their nets behind and began to follow Jesus and they became the disciples and there were several others from different groups that joined together 12 all together that joined the inner circle from the inner circle there was others that, that followed as well and there was the, the crowds after that that heard and 
the claims of Jesus. They heard the preaching of Jesus. They saw the miracles performed. They saw people that were blind begin to see. People that were deaf begin to hear. They saw people that were dead be raised to life. And all this comes about, and they see all of this. But up until the resurrection, there was still some doubt in their mind. There was still some doubt thinking, is Jesus really who he says he is? Yes, I say I believe, but now I've seen it for myself, and there's absolutely no doubt in my mind. If you think back upon the crucifixion account, and as graphic as the Bible describes the crucifixion, and maybe you've seen some movies describing the crucifixion and how horrendous it is, it makes me incredibly uncomfortable. And I don't say this jokingly, it's not a popcorn-style movie that you watch when you see the crucifixion of Jesus. Especially when you recognize that he did that for me. And it, you humanize it, and it becomes not just a pinprick, but you feel the pain, and you feel the separation, you feel the guilt, and the shame, and the sin that Jesus took upon his own shoulders. And you recognize that he did that for me. And all that comes about, and the disciples see that. They see Jesus dying on the cross. There's certain things that you see in life that you will never forget. There's certain times in your life that some things are positive. I never want to forget my wedding day or the birth of my children. But there's other days that I will never forget that I wish that I could forget. I wish I could remove those images from my mind. You imagine these disciples sitting in this upper room trying to console each other, but all equally distressed and equally scarred mentally by what they had seen their Jesus their Savior for the previous three and a half years they had followed Jesus they had seen all the miracles they had left everything else behind and now their their Savior was dead Jesus made some claims he claimed to be the bread of life he claimed to be the light of the world. He claimed to be the door, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, and the life. But now he was dead in a grave. What are we going to do? You ever been around a person that's been all talk and no action? You kind of start to disbelieve them after a while. Can you imagine this discussion that was taking place in this room with these disciples? after what they had seen and what they had experienced and recognizing that Jesus was now gone and thinking to themselves, what a waste of time. It was fun while it lasted, but now I have to go back to fishing again. Now, some of you are happy about that, but that was not a good thing. Thank God it wasn't over because as the old statement made by many preachers in the past, Friday was sad, but Sunday is coming. They would say, the old preachers, and we have something to look forward to. Sunday morning comes, the resurrection. Two Marys that come to the tomb and they see the angel. And then later account in the book of Matthew says that Mary Magdalene actually talked to Jesus in the garden. And then they go later in the, in the day and they're met by Jesus on Sunday evening. They're met by Jesus. They see him face to face and they talk with him. And you imagine not just the relief, but the joy because the promise that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the savior of the world was now being fulfilled. So it says in that verse again, John 20, verse eight, he saw and believed. 
these men, much like you and I, these women as well, these men and women who experienced the resurrection of Jesus were never the same again. And so many times in our life, we actually experience a similar thing. We experience something traumatic or something wonderful, and we go, my life is never going to be the same again. That happened to me three times when well, I, have, I have three children. Especially the first one was the most traumatic. When I woke up in the morning and my wife holds up a pregnancy test that has two lines on it. And she wakes up with a voice and she says this. Now, this is scarred into my mind. <laughs> my name is Michael. She says, Michael. And I'm woken up with a stick in front of my face. There's certain things that I will never forget, and my life is forever better for it. <laughs> and it happened three times for me, and some of you has happened more, and some a little less. Your life is forever different. These dis- men and women, they experienced something, and they had a choice. Those are two things they could possibly do. They could say, that was nice. It was fun while it lasted. What a great experience. I have some stories to tell my grandkids one day. I'm going to go back to the old way of living. Or, more correctly, what they did is they said, this is wonderful. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He rose from the dead. He is God. I'm going to place my trust upon him, and now I'm going to live the new way. They had a choice, and you and I have a choice today of how we respond. Now, maybe today you're hearing that message, and it's a new message for you, and you're still processing it, and we're going to walk through some things and allow the Word of God to work in your hearts and minds, and I promise I will not try to manipulate you or trick you. I'm just going to show you what the Bible says. And maybe you're hearing that for the first time, and you're thinking to yourself, what does that mean for me? Am I going to live the old way, or now I'm going to live the new way? And maybe you're here today and you're like myself who have grown up in church and I've heard this message many, many times. And I never wanted to get old. But the same time is I can naturally go back to living the natural old way. Here's a day today to stop and say, no, I'm going to change from that and I'm not going to go back to the old way. I'm going to live the new way in Christ. Our principle for today is this. The resurrection allows me to live a new life in Christ. And I tried to word that very correctly because it's not through our works. It's totally through Jesus Christ that we can live this new way versus the old way. Through the school holidays here at Southwest Baptist Church, we began in January working through the book of Galatians. And during the first school holidays, we were working through the book of Galatians. We got up to chapter number two. We finished it. And now the school holidays have begun again. Thank you. School holidays are here again. Happy teachers. Now we're working through the book of Galatians. And really, quite providentially, we are at a passage right now that is talking about a promise that we have. And it all comes back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Galatians, chapter number three. It will be on the screen for you to follow as well. And inside of your bulletins that you receive, there's also some message notes there. And there's some points there. And I have some of the key scriptures written out in the bulletin also. We have a choice to make. Are we going to live the old life or the new life? Our first point this morning is, it's pretty simple, old life. 
In the book of Galatians, chapter number 10, just to give you a really, really quick background. This is a book written to a real church in a real place in modern-day Turkey. There's an area called Galatia. It's a region. And this region had several churches that had heard the wonderful good news of the gospel and had quickly turned and began from the old way and began to turn to the new way of following Christ. But now life had begun and some temptations had come in, some false teaching had begun, and now they were beginning to think, hmm, is this really the right way or do I need to go back to this way? So the man who wrote this, a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to, to remind them of what had brought them together in unity. What was actually what brought them together? It was Jesus Christ. And he's reminding them of that wonderful message and saying, don't go back to the old way. Let's continue on the new life, the new way of living. And he says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 and 23, it says, For all who rely on the works of the law, that is going back to the old way of following rules and following the law to be justified before God, are under a curse. He makes a really strong statement there. If you're going to go back to the old way, he says, you're under a curse. Verse 23, it says, Now before faith come, we were, and I put dot, 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 and that's what we're going to look at right now. When you think of the old days, what decade do you think of? In fact, for me, when I think of the old days, I think of the 70s, because that's before I was born. And when I think of technology and things that are old, the heyday was the 90s. And that was the great day. And you, I'm sure, have a different decade. And my children think that anything pre-2000 is ancient. Like, you had to use your hands? What decade do you think of when you think of the old ways? Well, you think of different areas in your life and think of the old ways you used to live, the old ways you used to think. Imagine how different our lives are and how different it would be if we didn't have internet or phone signal for 24 hours. What would happen? Like, you start shaking. It, it would be tough. You'd actually have to talk to somebody face to face. It's, it's, it's difficult. The old life. Well, here we're having a contrast. When you rely on the works of the law, you're under a curse. Now, before faith came, we were. That's the old way. Let's contrast it. In the old way, he continues on in verse number 23, and he compares it to being like in prison. The negative past of the prison that we were in in the past. He says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until coming faith would be revealed. The man who wrote this, man named Paul, he understood being in prison. Because he was a preacher of Jesus Christ, he was beaten and thrown into prison many times. He understood what it meant to be stripped of all his rights, put into a prison cell, heard the door close and clang closed. He understood being in stocks and bonds and being unable to move and unable to even plan for the future because he goes, I don't know if I'm going to survive this. And so and when he wrote and used words like imprisoned, it was something personal. I don't, I've only have been, in, actually, I visited a jail. I shouldn't say I've never been in jail. I've only visited a jail one time. And it was something I won't forget. Hearing those heavy metal doors 
clang behind and knowing that I had the ability to leave at the end of the meeting, but at the same time as it was very uh, distressing to think, if I was stuck here, what would I think? That first night in prison, I guarantee I would cry. And he says here, the old way of living was like being in a prison. Maybe today you find yourself stuck in the old way, and your prison is your prison of the old relationships the prison of your negative health, a prison of addiction, a prison of your mind and the way that you think and the constant negative thoughts that we have and also the sinfulness of our minds. And we have the, the, the prison of pornography, the prison of anger. Maybe you're stuck in the prison of unforgiveness and you've been carrying unforgiveness year after year, decade after decade, and that can be a prison for your life. You have the prison of regret when you begin to fill the blank in for yourself. All these prisons that we carry around from the old. And why would we ever want to go back there? We're imprisoned in our negative past. And the Apostle Paul who's writing this says, don't go back to that way. We have a new way of living. Why would you ever want to go back to unforgiveness when we've been forgiven? Why would you want to go back to regret and guilt and shame when all those things have been washed away? And he gives another example. And he gives the example in the next verse of a disciplinarian. In verse number 24, it says a guardian. Now, I did some study on that word guardian, and it's more than just a a teacher or a tutor. It has to do with something that's actually quite aggressive. In fact, John Stott, the theologian, wrote about that word. He says, often harsh to the point of cruelty and usually depicted in ancient drawings with a rod or a cane in hand. If you can think of the old, mean, scary principle that stereotypically, if you're a principal here today, sorry, you're, not, you're nice. But the old stereotypical principle is the, the hook nose and mean and scary and can't wait to beat the children. That's the sort of disciplinarian that we find here. As I was studying that word out, it, came, it actually came quite alive. It says, so then the law was our disciplinarian, our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Paul here is understanding that if you live a strict and holy life, and there's someone looking over you with a big stick and saying, I'm going to whack your knuckles any time that you make a mistake, you're going to act really good, because you don't want to get hit. And the old saying of, if as long as I look okay on the outside, I'm okay on the inside. The man who wrote this, Paul, he understood that as well, because he went to an incredibly exclusive school. Then it doesn't sound that impressive to us, but he sat, he sat at the feet of a man named Gamaliel, and he rose to the top for his age as a Pharisee, and they were rule followers. He understood this, so he understood the old way was just empty works of saying, as long as I look okay, as long as I fly under the radar, as long as I'm better than other people around me, then I'm okay. That's the old way of living, but that's not the way we're called to live. It becomes empty works that we're just trying to fly under the radar and work our way through. The old versus the new. Jesus' disciples and his followers had a choice. You and I have a choice today. Are we going to go under the prison of our past? The prison of our sinfulness? Are we going to live underneath, as long as I look okay, as long as I'm better than my neighbors? 
then I'm okay? Or are we going to live the new way? Our principle, again, is the resurrection allows me to live a new life in Christ. We have a choice to remain in the prison or to be set free. In the book of John, chapter number 8, verse 36, Jesus makes a promise and he says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Because of Jesus' death and his resurrection, the prison gate is now unlocked. If you can imagine the old way, and now we, they're in a prison. But the prison door is unlocked. You don't have to remain in the old way any longer. And for me as a believer in Jesus Christ, I find this absolutely thrilling and it's liberating in my mind because it doesn't take very long to start thinking about all of my failures. And I'm sure you could probably do the same thing too. So thinking about all the mistakes and all the failures and all your regrets and all the things you wish that nobody would ever find out. And it becomes a prison to you. But because of Jesus' death and his resurrection from the dead, that prison gate is not locked. It's unlocked. Mankind has a choice. God's given us a choice to be free or to remain in that prison. Where are you today? I challenge you to walk through that unlocked door to the new life that we find in Jesus Christ. Our next point is probably pretty easy to guess. The old life versus the new life. In Galatians chapter number 3, that next verse down, verse 25 says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We've been now set free. And so now in Jesus Christ, we're going to see three things in this passage. First of all, we see we have a new family. We are now set free from the old prison. We've walked through those gates and now we're in the new life. And now we have a new family. That passage continues on in verses 26 and 27. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So you put off the old way and now we put on Christ. There's another verse in the Bible, John chapter 1 verse 12, that says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You study through this passage, the next chapter, chapter number four of Galatians, is what we're going to talk about next Sunday. And we're going to talk about being part of the family of God and the rights and the privileges that we have. Slavery versus the freedom we have of being part of the family of God. So in a positive way, tune in next Sunday because we're going to be talking about that. We, first of all, have a new family in Christ. We also have a new identity. This is one of the most beautiful images that I really enjoy talking about, the different labels that we label ourselves as and what society has labeled us as and our actions have labeled and sometimes quite correctly of who we used to be. But no longer that in Christ, now we have a new identity, a new name and a new label that's been placed upon us. That next verse down, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, no male and female, for you're all one in Christ. Now obviously there's differences. There's physical differences. We're not all the same here today. 
That's obvious. But when it comes to our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's not like you go, you must be this, 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 and this, and this, this. Oh, sorry, you don't qualify. How are you doing? And you, he says, in Christ, we're all one in Christ. The exact same Jesus who died and rose from the dead died for the Jews and also the Greeks. See, the Jewish people had a problem with that. They'd often go, um, you're going to have to become a Jew first, and then you can receive our Jesus. And he goes, you're either slave or free. In the slavery, you didn't have a lot of rights. And here you have people that were free, that were masters, that were, were, had complete freedom, were sitting in the same church services and worshiping the same God and coming to the same Savior through Jesus Christ. And it didn't matter what your economic status was. Male or female, it doesn't matter. It's not just for men or not just for women. We're all together. And he goes, we are all one in Christ. If I was to ask you, who are you? And count to three and get you to say whatever it is that you are. How would you describe yourself? Normally, what we'd naturally do, we would say, my name is. And we describe ourselves by our name. Let's go a little bit deeper than that. If you describe yourself, who are you, and begin to describe yourself beyond just your name, you may describe yourself as, some of you would say South African, and some of you would say, I'm Australian, or whatever other country you are. Well, let's think beyond just your name, your nationality. Let's think beyond, I'm male or female. Let's think beyond that. Let's think about who you really are on the inside. And sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I don't want to do that. That's vulnerable. I don't want to be open to that. I'm not asking you to answer that for me, but I want you to answer that before God and say, God, who am I before you? You've given me a new identity. That prison that I'm stuck in right now, the gate's open, and now you can give me a new identity. And it's not found in society. It's not found in economics or education. It's found in Christ. We are one in Christ. We have a new family we have a new identity. We also have a new future. We have something to look forward to more than just the here and now. I love living in Bunbury. I love living in the Southwest. It's a beautiful place to be. But you know what? There's more to life than just here. There's more to life than the here and now. We have something to look forward to that's going to last for all eternity. And we have a choice whether we're going to live the old way or the new way. It says in verse number 29 of that passage, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring's heir, and here's the key, according to promise. So now as we begin to read our Bibles and we see the incredible promises that we have for the here and now in regards to our forgiveness of sin, in regards to our identity, in regards to our family, we also read in the Bible how there's promises in the Bible about our future, things far beyond my brain power. And as I begin to read them and, and understand them, I realize I'm just scratching the surface of the things that God has for us. And the Bible even says, Eye hath not seen, nor ear hath heard, nor even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for us in heaven. Which I like to challenge God on that sometimes, just as a little side. 
and think about heaven and think about being within presence of God and thinking about no more sin and no more death and no more pain and no more tears and being in the very presence of God and joining a billion person choir singing holy, holy, holy and all the harmonies. And I think about that and then God says, I have not seen or ear heard nor even entered in the heart of man what God has prepared for us in heaven. And I realize I have no idea how wonderful it's going to be. We read these promises in the Bible and we recognize we have a new future, not just the old way. John chapter 10, verse 10 again. I I read this verse earlier. Jesus promises, I am come that they may have life and they might have it more abundantly. There's more to life than just the here and now. We're often chasing the next great thing. And if we re- rely upon our electronics, we'll be constantly disappointed because they keep bringing out a new phone. And just when you think that you're the cool person, you have the latest phone, they bring out another one. If we rely upon society to give us status, it goes up and it goes down. We wait, wait on our economics. Our economics go up and they go down. We wait on our education, our education. We get a degree, and what do they say about uh, degrees? After a couple of years, they're obsolete because everything you learned has already been replaced with new things. We must rely upon something that's, that's quite literally God's already been there, done that, because he's outside of time and he sees all things at once, which, again, blows my mind. The disciples and followers of Jesus Christ had a choice on Resurrection Sunday. They were to see the empty tomb and they were to say, mm, I don't know, I don't believe that, and go back to living the old way. Or they had a choice. They saw what Jesus had done. They recognized the promises of God and said, I am going to believe and now live the new way in Christ, no longer through me. As we conclude this morning, there's a verse in Galatians chapter number 2, verse 16 that says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. It would be remiss of me to tell you there's a new way of living and then I'll walk you through some process there. So those of you who already know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is an encouragement to you because it reminds you of the wonderful blessing that you have. It rehearses in our mind how we came to know Christ as our Savior. Maybe you're hearing this and you're saying to yourself, I want to get out of this prison of the past and the old way, and I want to live the new life in Christ. How do I do that? First of all, you don't need me to walk you through this. You need Jesus Christ. You're not relying upon a person. You're not relying upon a church. But if you would like help, we will be happy to open up the Word of God, the Bible, and show you out of the Bible how you can place your trust upon Christ as as your Savior. We'll sit down with you and show you Scripture by Scripture uh, how you can repent of your sin. Because it begins with an admitting, admitting that we are sinners. Then it goes on from that as a belief in our hearts that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he is God, and he has done that for us. And with our sin, we turn from our sin, and we repent of our sin, and we turn towards Jesus Christ and accept the free gift of salvation. Sometimes we do that within a prayer. 
that prayer does not save you. It's not some magical words that we say that gives us the right. It's the belief in our heart that does the saving. So where you are seated right now, you can, in your own words, you can begin to pray and say, God, I don't want to live the old way any longer. I know that I'm, and you begin to name off who you are in the old way. But I want the new way. I want Jesus. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. I believe he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Will you please give me that free gift of salvation? And from that, the Bible says, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, you will be saved. If you do us the honor, if you are doing that this morning as we pray in a moment, would you come talk to me about it? Because I want to celebrate. I want to encourage you and help you through. If you need a Bible, we'll happily purchase a Bible for you. We'll walk you through the steps to help you walk out of the prison of the past and into the new life that we have in Christ. The question of the day, the final question, and then we're going to close in prayer. Do you believe? Why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer? Lord, on Resurrection Sunday, we have a a tremendous privilege. We have the privilege of recognizing and celebrating the fact that you have come to earth. You lived a perfect life. You died a cruel death on a cross. But you didn't stay dead in the grave, but you rose from the dead. And on this Resurrection Sunday, Lord, it's a day that we all have a choice of how we're going to live. And Lord, for myself personally, I thank you for saving me from my sins, taking me from the old prison, the old disciplinarian to a new life in Christ. Thank you for my new family. Thank you for my new identity and thank you for my new future. And Lord, I thank you for saving us from our sins. There's people here this morning that are yet to place their trust upon you as Savior, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll do what only you can do, that you'll do the drawing, you'll do the convicting, and most of all, you'll do the saving. And Lord, you'll allow us the opportunity to come alongside you and encourage and to celebrate. We come together today to celebrate your resurrection from the dead and the new life you give us. And in Jesus' name, amen.